This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. edition of Rico Bronia. We have waited weeks and days and months, and we finally got to my favorite national holiday of the year, opening day. And this is actually a feeling we're used to, winning on opening day. (laughs) It may not necessarily turn into a great season. They won on opening day in 1993. We know how that went. But listen, let's be optimistic. Let's be happy. The Mets got a victory today. It was not always easy. It was not always fun. It was actually a really eventful day that started off negatively. Now, it did finish with David Robertson pitching a 1-2-3 inning against the heart of the Miami Marlins order, making us forget Edwin Diaz exists at least for a few seconds. But let's not forget how opening day 2023 permeated our brains. It started by all of us maybe checking in on the Yankees, seeing how they're doing. They're having their opener. Aaron Judge is hitting a home run. And I think right before that, we get the news that Justin Verlander is hurt. And this is a stunner. Like When you see Brandon Nimmo get hurt, you see it. So you're like waiting for news. When you see Edwin Diaz get hurt, you see it. You're waiting for news. I always hate the surprise out of nowhere injury tweet. And I found out in the worst possible way. I have to be honest. I'm sitting there getting ready for the opener, sitting in my TV room, And I see a text message from one of my wonderful coworkers, Big Mac, Chris McMonigle. Now, Chris and I have a running joke with each other. When Edwin Diaz got hurt, he thought the diagnosis was good news. And he made an honest mistake. When he first heard what the diagnosis was, he didn't think it was bad. So he ran into my office that day to say, good news, to which I responded, this is not good news. So now we have this good news running joke. So all I see is a text message that says, good news on Verlander. And I'm thinking, good news on Verlander? What? And I scroll up to see that Justin Verlander has a terrace muscle strain, which caused immediate opening day depression. Let's not lie to ourselves. Immediate opening day depression. I was so ready to angrily tweet for an hour straight, and I stopped myself. The only thing I did was I tweeted out, Jacob deGrom is pitching today. Justin Verlander is not. That's it. Just a simple fact. There was no opinion offered. There was no bitching. It was just simply, hey, Justin Verlander is not pitching. He's all going on the injured list. Jacob deGrom is pitching. 
And I started to stew and get so angry thinking back to all the discussions we had about DeGrom and he can't stay healthy and Verlander's a horse and he won't get hurt. And now he has a strain of a muscle that I never heard of. So I was upset. I was angry. I texted Hoff. I think I broke the the news to you, Pete. I don't think you knew about it, right? No, I did not. I just got to my seats. I was um oh somewhere else today. Actually, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I was I was at Yankee Stadium. Oh, goody! You were at the perfect Yankees opening day. Anthony Volpe drew the greatest walk in the history of baseball. He had the greatest first stolen base in the history of baseball. Aaron Judge had a remarkable home run. Garrett Cole was dominant. It makes me sick to my stomach. It was such a perfect Yankees (laughs) opening day. And meanwhile, we're wallowing in our own pain that Justin Verlander has something called a terrace muscle strain. You know what, though? It's funny because when I did see your text, not uh, your tweet not too soon after, and I tasted the anger. In that tweet, even though it didn't, there wasn't much there. It was just facts. Yeah. I, ta- I tasted the anger behind it. No, I, I, I was angry. And I do want to address, we'll, we'll get into this game. Obviously, we'll give you a little baseball breakdown. But I will tell you that when DeGrom pitched a 1-2-3 inning in the first against the Phillies, and he struck out two guys, and he looked dominant, I was at the peak of my anger. Because this was right as the Met game was starting against the Marlins. So the Mets are right away underway. They go down one, two, three quickly. And DeGrom is just destroying the Phillies. Now, I want to be fair. You know this, Pete. DeGrom's on my fantasy team. I have kept him for years. I kept him again. So I think I'm always going to have a rooting interest in him just for that reason. But as he he started to get bombed in the second inning, and he gives up a two-run home run to Alec Bohm, and then he gives up a triple, I think, to Trey Turner, or a triple to Brandon Marsh, if I'm not mistaken. Bottom line was he's, he's just getting pounded. It didn't bother me the way I thought it would. As somebody that loves Jake and as somebody that has him on his fantasy team, I actually started to feel better. It's such a weird thing to say. I I always want to be honest with you. And it doesn't mean I was rooting against him. I wasn't. I wasn't. I was not rooting against him. I was not like, yeah, kill him or crush him. It wasn't that. But I wasn't bothered by it. Like it, I think today of all days, It'll be different as this season goes on. But I think on today, opening day, which is supposed to be a national holiday, I didn't want to be angry. So I think the Grom getting beat up slightly made me feel better. I have to admit. You know, I felt the exact opposite. I, I watched the Grom get shelled, or I saw the stats at least, the stat line pop up, and I was like, you know what? Like, that's not what I expect out of him. And I I, I don't know what happened. And I just felt like I was pissed about that. Like, I, it took my mind off of Verlander, sure, but in the opposite way, because I'm like, that's the guy I wanted on this team. Right. And I, it's like, so now it's not justified that I hope I was wrong. And I don't want to be that way. And listen, to be honest with you, it was a weird day in Texas anyway, because what happened to, to, to Nola? If you right, know. right. Well, a lot, of, a lot of aces around baseball did not pitch well. I mean, Corbin Burns did not pitch well. You mentioned what happened with Aaron Nola. He didn't pitch well. So Max Fried got hurt too, by the way. And this is, I, I really don't want to say what I'm about to say, but I, I, I always want to be honest on the Rico. When I saw Max Fried pull up lame with that hamstring, and I... God, I, I Do it. Do it. I know where you're going. I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm, at this point, remember what time this happened at? This happened at like three o'clock, right? Or two 30. Right. I'm still angry about Verlander. 
I'm still bitter about he's hurt. I don't know how much time he's going to miss. DeGrom is pitching, and here's Max Freed. And, oh, oh, his hammy hurts. Oh, okay. It made me feel better. Pay so I, was surprised by what my, I was surprised by what my emotions did to me today. I felt better when Freed got hurt. And I felt better when DeGrom was throwing batting practice to the Phillies. So so here's a question for you real quick before we even get to, to break down the games. Did you notice, I, I felt like, I know Cole had a really good game with strikeouts. And I, I, I saw that. But mm-hmm. I felt overall, strikeouts were a little bit lower today uh, in total. And is that because of the pitch clock at all? Did you notice that? Uh, a- I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe we noticed that because of the Met game. Max only struck out six. Sandy Alcantara only struck out two. But even Jake, as bad as he was, he struck out seven guys in three and a third, three and two-thirds innings. And Cole struck out a bunch of guys. Now, I think it's just sometimes on opening day, guys don't pitch well. Even though we have all the aces going, sometimes you just don't get the dominance. And and I will remind you of this. And I don't know why this sticks in my brain so I guess adamantly in my head when the Mets lost Mike Hampton after the 2000 season, we were very bitter at Mike Hampton and I'm not comparing Hampton to Grom. Just that here was this big time pitcher that left us. And I remember watching his first start. He went to the Colorado Rockies and he pitched brilliantly in his first game, eight scoreless innings. And I think hit a home run. Uh You can fact check me on that one, but I think he went eight scoreless and hit a home run. And as that happened, I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be a disaster. I mean, Mike Hampton is going to defy all logic in Colorado. We are going to regret not re-signing him. We're going to regret not bidding more than we did. We're going to regret the Colorado school system. And Mike Hampton after that was terrible. So it's just a reminder that what happens on opening day, we're going to overreact to. I'm going to overreact to. But perspective is important, just like the Mets winning on opening day. Mets win on opening day all the time. It doesn't mean it's going to turn into a great season. Just like losing on opening day doesn't mean the opposite. So Hampton was brilliant in his first ever game as a Rocky. His tenure in Colorado was a disaster. The same thing may happen here with Jake. I mean, Jake had a horrible start. He could go dominate his next five or six, lower his ERA and win a Cy Young anyway. So it was weird. It was a, it was a very weird opening day and I had weird emotions. And then you throw in it, and this is pure selfish, I admit it. You know, I'm on the air with Craig after the Yankee game. So I don't get to fully enjoy opening day where I'm scoring it and I'm watching it. I'm focused on it. I'm distracted because we're trying to do a radio show. But I did score the game. (laughs) I got the first two and a half innings in before our show started. And then I proceeded to try to score the game while Craig and I were doing our show. And it's not my greatest work. I'll fill in some blanks, you know, maybe a little bit later on tonight, tomorrow. But I did successfully, sort of successfully, score opening day while doing a show. Then the show ends, and I got the last two winnings to watch and be fully focused on. So one thing I was confused by, and I actually had a caller explain it to me on the air, was what happened with the violation with Jeff McNeil. Because I'm watching the game while doing a show. I see a violation on McNeil in 0-1 count, and now turns into 0-2. And I saw that Buck was arguing and Pete was arguing. So I knew it wasn't a straight up. McNeil didn't get in the box. But basically, we had Pete Alonso not getting back to first base quick enough, which is a, a little wrinkle to the pitch clock variation. But one of those things that it's just not going to be a problem. It'll maybe be a problem on opening day. It may be a problem the first few weeks of the season. But I think that's one of those things where Pete wasn't in camp because he was in the WBC for a big chunk of it. And that's an easy thing to fix. But how about the fact 
pick spot in the game. McNeil's called for strike two. Could have changed the game. Takes a ball, base it up the middle on the next pitch, which great compliment to Jeff McNeil. He's an excellent two-strike hitter, but also a violation doesn't end your at-bat, good or bad. Obviously, a ball in a big spot or a strike in a big spot can change things, but look at Jeff McNeil, and it wasn't even really his fault. 0-1 count goes to 0-2, big spot in the game, still rips a single up the middle for a huge RBI single in that sixth inning. But that was a weird, weird spot that I was confused by because I was also trying to host the radio show while watching it. Another another thing you might may have missed was Max Scherzer let the clock go down to about one second, and it actually looked like he started pitching after the clock had already hit zero. And I forget who was up to the plate, but he called timeout because it looked like Scherzer went too long, and right. he was look he was kind of arguing with the ump for a second, like it went to zero. Why do I have to call timeout there? And no, there was no ball, no strike call, there was no nothing, but. Um, there was a little, and they did a replay, and it showed that Max. Because Ma- the one thing that we that we've talked about is Max is trying to mess with hitters, right? And mess mess with the clock, and he went past it, and total the um totally just missed it. That interesting. That is something again. I think that we're we've talked about that he's trying to figure out where what the the fine line is where they can go past in football. They can snap the ball a second late, and it's you know to get by it. Is that going to bite him at some point in time in the regular season? Yeah, I mean, I think he's learning. He's playing around. He's obviously trying to see what can give him an edge, which I don't have a problem with. This is still extended spring training, if you will. Those first week or two of the regular season is almost an extension of it. As far as the game is concerned, you know, Sandy Alcantara is coming off a sighing award-winning year. The Mets, I thought, did a really good job against Alcantara last year. No, they didn't pound him or anything like that, but they did a pretty good job against him. And in this game, the whole inning and really the whole game against him turned when he walked Vogelbach on four pitches, which was kind of stunning. You know, Sandy's a real good control pitcher. He walks him on four pitches. Omar Narvaez comes through with a big base hit. And I was thinking when he singled and Vogelbach went to third, so they're set up with first and third, one out in the third inning. Thought pops in my head immediately. They've already got more production from catcher already. I mean, already we're one game in, we're one plate appearance into the season, and Omar Narvaez already has done more than Tomas Nito and James McCann combined. So, that would, listen, that was a big moment in the game because it set him up with first and third, and then Brandon Nimmo was able to take advantage of it with the sacrifice fly. They did have the base running miscue where Narvaez got kind of caught between first and second, but they were able to jump out to an early one nothing lead. Scherzer was mostly really good. He gives up that leadoff hit to a rise, gets a double play, got another double play later in the fourth inning on that long at-bat against Garrett Cooper. And then in the sixth inning, the Mets were able to tack on, and that was that inning with Jeff McNeil that we talked about where Nimmo draws a walk, Marte rips a base hit up the middle. Then you get the bad Jazz Chisholm defense where he makes the bad throw. The Marlins have so many guys out of position. So that's going to be something, especially early on. And the Mets see a lot of the Miami Marlins early on, these four games plus three at City. They play seven of their first 10 games against the Marlins. They're going to be defensive miscues. That doesn't mean that Jazz Chisholm isn't going to turn into a great center fielder or Gene Segura isn't going to be fine at third base or Joey Wendell isn't going to be fine at shortstop. I just think early on, that's the time you want to play these guys because they have so many guys out of position. And that was a big moment because that allowed Lindor to get the sack fly. Alonzo draws the walk, and then McNeil in that weird, quirky situation comes through with an RBI single. 
And then Max Scherzer made me want to punch uh, a hole in the wall because it's three nothing. And my brain already starts to click. Okay, Max has been great. He's only allowed one hit. There were a couple of other base runners due to walks. Get me three outs in the sixth. That's fine. Pitch count's going to be probably in the high 80s, low 90s. It's opening day, and he's done. So I knew six innings, and he's done. And then, all right, I like giving the bullpen a three-run lead with nine outs to work with. I'm good with that. I feel good about that. And you could tell early that sixth inning, Max was not fooling anybody. Jacob Stallings hits the crap out of a ball and rips a double. That same Jacob Stallings, by the way, who had a game-winning home run against Edwin Diaz when Edwin Diaz sucked back in the day. You know, remember those days when we when we didn't love Edwin Diaz? Stallings rips the double. He gets uh, Joey Wendell out. Okay, all right, let's get through this. Gives up an RBI double to Luisa Rice, who's going to be a pain in the rear end. I'll tell you right now, Luisa Rice, seeing him, I know it's not 19 times a year anymore. It's 13 times a year, but he's a hitter, man. He's impossible to strike out, even though he did strike out in this game. He's mostly impossible to strike out. He's like Jeff McNeil. Very similar to Jeff McNeil. Very, very good hitter. He rips an RBI double. Then Max gets Gene Segura out. And when he gets Gene Segura out, who's a Met killer, he's an out away from escaping this thing with a 3-1 to one lead. And that 0-1 pitch to Garrett Cooper was right down the heart of the plate. And he murdered it. Oh, I hit the crap out of it. Right off the bat. You could tell that baby was going out. And I'm disgusted. I'm on the air. No, so I got to deal with this while I'm on the air. I got to be like, ah, crap. on the air, which I hate. I hate afternoon Met baseball when we're on the, when we're on the radio. It's just my, my lowest moment was probably the Justin Upton Jairus Familia game back in 2015 in that rainstorm when Familia gave up the home run to Upton and they had a two hour rain delay. And then Craig Kimbrell came in and sealed the deal. Then the next day they trade for Cespedes and the whole season turns around. We were on the air for that, Joe and I, and it was just awful. So Scherzer gives up the home run. I give him credit. He gets the yeah, last out it. of the sixth inning. And it's it's a quality outing, I guess. Six innings, three runs. But it's a real kick in the balls when you give your ace a three-run lead and he wipes it all away in the sixth inning. Yeah, no, like, dude, he – you could tell it was coming, like you said. And I don't understand how it always comes up. But that's – it's never like – listen, besides the playoffs – it's never Scherzer gets batted around and gets beat up and gives up tons of run. It's always a home run that kills him. He gets oh, one, one, one guy on base, and then boom, someone hits a home run. It's the one mistake, but that one mistake is it's clear. Like you said, he was getting tagged. Dude, th- this is, you know, as an opponent of Max Scherzer, this was always his bugaboo, giving up the big home run. It was It always was. And obviously it happened today. To his credit, he gets through the inning. And that, that to me is really, really important. It's like when a closer blows the save. I always look at that. Get me through the inning. It's a tie game. The game is not over. We go to the seventh inning. It, it's not the end of the world, even though it felt like it was the end of the world at the time. And what was really, really important was that the Mets responded right away. So the Mets never went to their bullpen in a tie game. They go top of the seventh inning against Tanner Scott. And they work out a rally, and they do it with the bottom of the order. Eduardo Escobar comes through with a hit behind in the count. Omar Narvaez draws a walk. Again, more productive than McCann and Nito. And that obviously sets up Brandon Nemo, who was so clutch all last year, and he's clutch again. He had the sack fly early in the game, hits the two-run double. That gives them the lead. And now 
it's almost like a reset. When Nimmo drives in those two runs, it's a deep breath. Okay, kind of like we were envisioning before. Bullpen's got a multi-run lead. Go get the job done. And they did, man. And I was curious who and where Buck would go to. Because we know who we think the circle of trust is, but we don't really know. Adam Adovino had a great year last year, but in a perfect world, you really only want him facing right-handed pitching, a right-handed hitting. That's ideally what you're looking at. So you look at the seventh inning. Is it really an ideal spot for him? Not really. You've got, so actually it was because you had three righties coming up. I guess you could have gone Adam Adovino in the seventh inning. But he decides to go to Drew Smith, fine. Drew Smith had a great first half last year. And when he gives up the leadoff double to Jorge Soler, I think we're all thinking the same thing, which is, oh, crap, this isn't going to go well. But Drew did a great job. He gets Avisal Garcia right after that, strikes out De La Cruz and Stallings back-to-back. That actually would have been a good avenue for Adam Adovino with all those righties coming up. But he decides not to, and that leads easily to Brooks Raleigh getting the eighth inning because when you looked at Wendell, who they end up pinch hitting for, Alva Arvaez and then Segura kind of makes sense that that's where you're going to go to the lefty and Brooks Raleigh. And he did a great job. He looked great. They pinch hit for Wendell with birdie. He strikes him out. He strikes out a rise. We mentioned earlier is very difficult to strike out and then gets Segura out. So right off the top, think about the work that the Mets got out of their bullpen before we even get to the ninth inning between Drew Smith and Brooks Raleigh. I know Buck said before the game, They don't have a set closer. And he sort of, like, I sort of agree with him only because, like we talked about last time, we saw him use a lot of Edwin Diaz in the eighth inning. And I think in baseball, we're moving past the quote-unquote set closer. But there's still the reliever that you trust the most. There's still that reliever who more times than not gets the ninth inning. There's that reliever that you want in the biggest spot of the game. And David Robertson's that guy. He just is. I think going into the season, he's that guy. Obviously, that can change based on performance. And this was a great test. Not that a guy who's 38, 39 years old and is closed to New York needs a test. But for our team, for our purposes, for us watching him, it was a test. Closer of the National League champion Phillies, whatever. Big time reliever for the Yankees, whatever. It's all new to us now because all that was us watching from afar. Now it's what are you going to do for us? You're facing the heart of the Marlins order. Granted, it's the Marlins. They're not exactly murderers row. They scored 3.6 runs per game last year. But I like that. I like throwing them right into the fire. But we all had that same fear since Edwin Diaz got hurt. That the Mets were going to lose games because Edwin isn't there. And if, God forbid, they lost on opening day, even though it's only one game, it would be something that would be tattooed on our brain forever. Very similar to opening day 05 when Braden Looper wiped away Pedro Martinez's Met debut. So as Robertson got up there against Garrett Cooper, of all people, the guy with the two-run home run in the sixth inning, I, I did have some fear in my mind. In fact, I may have gone to FanDuel and bet the Miami Marlins. I may have. I mean, what, what, what have I done that with 11 to 1 odds? Maybe. I may have done that. Well, why do you look so disgusting? Well, because a few things. First of all, 
uh, I think SFY threw out the stat of what what it was if you were going to bet on the Mets to win at that moment. It was like minus like two thousand or something like that. Yes. So it's like yes. So you must have saw that like oh I'm jumping on the other side of it. Slash they're throwing out the Edwin Diaz getting the walk off the mound like you know the injury. They're also showing last year the 80, Mets are eighty nine and oh yes after with leads. So you're like Mister Negativity over there. Yeah, That's pretty much. <laughs> I do this all the time with the Nets. It's called emotional insurance is what it's called. And my wife knows about it. She knows I do this. I do it responsibly, obviously. It's called emotional insurance, which is if things go bad, I'll still be very upset, but at least give me some money for it. And so that's what I did. I, I, I'm i always going to be honest with the Rico audience, okay? Anytime I make a takeout emotional insurance, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you when I do it. I'm also going to tell you the opposite. Like if we're down by three runs late in the game and I say, Hey, I'm feeling good about this. I'll tell you that too. But I took out emotional insurance and David Robertson. Thank you, David. I just want to say to David Robertson, even though my son may never love you because you don't have the trumpets like Edwin Diaz. I just want you to go out and save baseball games and not blow up our season. And David Robertson not only didn't blow up our season day one, he made it easy. He made it stress-free. I love John Franco. John Franco never made it stress-free. Never. He would never do it. Edwin Diaz last year was the first closer in the history of my life who not only saved a lot of games, but did it stress-free. Even good Armando Benitez didn't do it stress-free. Billy Wagner didn't do it stress-free. And for David Robertson to strike out Cooper and strike out the poster guy of MLB, the show, Jazz Chisholm, and then get Jorge Soler to pop up, oh, chef's kiss to David Robertson. He did an absolutely fantastic job. My dad's texting me, who needs Edwin Diaz? <laughs> and that, it's not a slight on Edwin Diaz. It's, I think it's a reminder, and I said this when Edwin got hurt, the advantage that we had is gone. But can the Mets still have a really good bullpen? Yeah, of course they can. Just look around baseball. Look at who the closers are or the bullpen guys who will be asked to get big outs in high leverage situations. Look at who they are around baseball. And you can't tell me, and I understand bullpens are up and down, that the Met arms are that much worse. What we lost was an advantage. That's gone. But can David Robertson and Brooks Raleigh and Drew Smith and the guys we didn't even see today, John Curtis and Adam Ottavino, can they be a part of a strength and a good bullpen? Yeah, why not? And at least for one day, they got off to a really good start. Yeah, I, it's it's just disappointing because I think this bullpen's actually really good. So to have Edwin Diaz would have been like, wow. This may yeah. be the best bullpen of baseball. And I know that that's like, why do you say that? Well, Edward Diaz is the best closer in baseball right now, so that's easy to say. But Brooks Raleigh looks great. And I do think that Robertson will get most of the starts anyway, especially when, you, when you're going to have a mix of lefties in there because we already talked about how Robertson could basically face yep. lefties just as well. Adam Adovino against lefties is a scary sight. So I don't really know if we want to well, experience that as much. But, and that's what's great. Like Adam Adovino in having a great year last year was – forced to have been used in situations that were not ideal. The Met bullpen is deep enough where, and I hate to quote what Aaron Boone used to say, but it's true, where you can put him 
in his perfect, was it Avenue? I forget what they used to say. Alleyway. They used to have a phrase for how they would use their relievers. But it, but it's true in this case. Like Adam Adovino's perfect alleyway or avenue, whatever the hell he said, can be used better by the Mets because they have a deeper bullpen this year than they did last year. They do. They do. They don't have the back-end dominance, but they have a really deep bullpen. And this was a great start because they got six out of Max, and I think that's a reasonable amount of innings out of your starting pitching. You're usually not going to get much more than that, even from Scherzer, even from Verlander. And so on a nightly basis, you're going to need to get nine outs. And in day one, they got nine outs. The other thing that was really encouraging, and I, and I want to circle this back to Verlander and his injury, is Brandon Nimmo. I bring this up because when Brandon Nimmo went down with that knee injury, I was panicking. I can't say every Met fan was panicking. I was panicking. And there was a fear that, oh, my God, he's going to miss a lot of time. I, I was even saying, I may have said it on the Rico, get him back by May 1st, it's a win. Well, here we are on opening day, not that long removed from when Brandon Nimmo went down with his knee injury. Not only is he playing and leading off, he's driving in the first run of the game, and he's driving in the two runs that won the game in the seventh inning. And he's drawing walks and sprinting to first base. We got a pure, full Brandon Nimmo experience today. And we got that when it wasn't that long ago where it felt like it would be impossible to see him play. We we're breaking down who's going to replace him. Now, who's going to play center field? So I think that's a reminder that while my initial reaction of Verlander is to panic, and there's reason to be nervous about it, we just don't know with these injuries. You, you just don't know. And I think as Met fans, we always want to think the worst. And a lot of times it is the worst. But then there are times like Brandon Nemo, where it's clearly not the worst because he didn't miss a game and he drove in three runs on opening day. Well, it's funny because we're talking about injuries. I mean, we before we even got the Verlander news, I think we saw that uh, – I'm going to butcher his name – Daoka. Oh, Bryce Montes Daoka news. Horrible news, yes. Yeah, Tommy John. So it's like yeah. that's that's why we're always thinking the worst – um, and uh, thankfully with Brendan Nimmo, that that did not happen. But I mean, and a, a lot of it's precaution too, though. Uh, a lot, of, I think, a lot of it was Nimmo, the the timing of it. Let's just not don't rush you back, type of right. thing. Uh, here's a question for you too. We didn't touch on the lineup. The 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 did you like Vogel back at seven? Yes. Yeah. I think their best hitter to protect, assuming you're going to keep Nimmo, Marte, Lindor, Alonzo, which Buck ran out basically every day last year. I don't have an issue with it. The guy who offers the best protection for Pete Alonzo is Jeff McNeil. It's just, it's not even close. And I think he gave you a reminder of it because there's a good chance he's going to come up with guys on base. The Mets are not a slugging team. They're just not. Alonzo will hit a bunch of home runs. Lindor will hit a bunch of home runs. They're not a slugging team. That's not their strength, which means the guy who's hitting fifth is more times than not coming up with guys on base. And I'd rather have Jeff McNeil up uh, with guys on base than Eduardo Escobar, than Daniel Vogelbach, than anybody else. So I think the way they lined them up was absolutely the way you should go. I got no, no issues with that. Uh, you want to split up the lefties to a degree so you don't have Vogelbach and Narvaez back-to-back. You don't have Vogelbach, McNeil back-to-back. Uh, so think about it this way. If you're not hitting McNeil fifth and you're hitting Vogelbach because he's got pop, that means you're hitting McNeil seventh. And that, to me, is crazy. He's too good for that. So I did like the lineup, but we saw Vogelbach in the seventh inning 
with a lefty Tanner Scott on the mound get pinch hit for? Of course, he's not going to face lefties. And think about the guys they have on their bench. Tommy Pham was the only logical guy to go to. You're not going to Nito. You're not going to Guillerme. And LeCastro's there for speed and defense. So the guy you go to is Tommy Pham. It's not, it's not a great bench. It's not a great bench. And we're going to see it in day two on Friday when Jesus Lazardo is on the mound. Tommy Pham's going to be the right-handed DH. So here's what bothers me, and it has everything to do with the New York Yankees and the San Francisco Giants. So I'm sitting down, getting ready to score Yankees-Giants, because that's what I do. And in the scorebook I have, you have the bench spots. You got the bullpen spots. So I see the final roster for the New York Yankees. I see the final roster for the San Francisco Giants. Both teams are doing exactly what I want the Mets to do. The one roster construction thing I always scream about, and that is 12 pitchers, 14 position players. Why does that matter? Because instead of only having four guys on your bench, Guillerme, Pham, Nito, LeCastro, if you have one fewer pitcher, like the New York Yankees, like the San Francisco Giants, that gives you another bat. That other bat should be Mark Vientos. Mark Vientos is now your right-handed DH. Mark Vientos is now the guy pinch-hitting for Daniel Vogelbach. And you still have Tommy Pham, and you still have your bench. So I see the New York Yankees carrying five bench players. I see the San Francisco Giants. And I think the Giants are a better example than the Yankees, and I'll tell you why. Because the Giants are a platoon team. And the Mets, to a varying degree, can be a platoon team, especially a DH. So the one thing I would tell you is that they should carry a fifth guy on their bench. They don't need eight guys out of the bullpen. And that's what the Mets have, and the Giants and Yankees don't. So when I saw that this morning, when I was looking at the Giants and Yankee roster, I got jealous. I got jealous. Like, come on. Well, why, why do you think you need 13 freaking pitchers out of your bullpen? Because tomorrow or Friday, depending on when you're listening, the Mets are going to face a lefty. On Sunday against the Marlins, the Mets are going to face a lefty. They're facing lefties twice in the next three games. That means Tommy Pham's the DH. And maybe more, because I don't know if Brandon Immel's going to play every single game. I don't know if Starlin Castro's going to play every single game. So, I think I said Starlin Castro. Holy crap. Starling yeah. Marte. <laughs> <laughs> At least I caught myself. Oh, my God. I, I would love to see the Matt a fifth guy on the bench. That's... That's my point of it. But I do like the lineup in terms of where the guys are, you know, the, the order of where they're at. I got no issue with that. Where, where, which, which bullpen, would, which reliever would you cut out? Um, I mean, Dennis Santana hasn't pitched yet, so it's tough to, to just get rid of him. I understand you'd have to play some on waivers, but probably him if I had to cut somebody out. I, it's more, do you need eight relievers out of the bullpen? That's the question you got to ask yourself. Do Is that a number you need? For a long time, it was six guys out of the pen. Then it became seven guys out of the pen. Now we're at eight guys out of the bullpen? But just to be the devil's advocate here, we're t- talking about baseball that's ch- completely changed, that pitchers, you know, going six innings is a difficult task to take, to, to make. So you're seeing about three bullpen arms a game, sometimes yeah, but- at least. The, again, the New York Yankees and the San Francisco Giants are playing the same game. And as of now, and I know that can change. Don't get me wrong. Like a week goes by, that will change. They both have fewer guys in their bullpen. 
They do. And because of the way the Mets are built, where I believe they have a handful of guys that you're going to want to not play every, every single day, I think it reinforces the idea that you need five guys off your bench. You lose complete versatility. I mean, think about it. You pinch hit for Daniel Vogelback in the seventh inning. You now, after you do that, only have three guys left on your bench, one of which is your backup catcher. The other one is a guy you're only using for speed and defense. And the other guy, Luis Guillerme, I love, but it's Luis Guillerme. Like, I think the way this roster is built, they need another bat off the bench. But that's just me. Now, we are going to see Tyler McGill fill in for Justin Verlander, which means Tyler McGill, assuming there are no setbacks with anyone else, any other injuries, Tyler McGill will have gone from pitching opening day, the true opening day in 2022, to the Mets' home opener in 2023. So congratulations to Tyler McGill. But it's lined up for Peterson, McGill, Senga, Carrasco. And right out the gate, the Met rotation depth is being tested. Right out of the gate. So deep breath on Justin Verlander. I am concerned. Oh, because here's the other reason I'm concerned about Justin Verlander. The Mets fix tweeted this out earlier. So credit to them and baseball prospectus. A list of guys who've dealt with a terrace muscle strain. And obviously we don't know the severity of Justin Verlander. They keep saying it's minor. So not all terrace muscle strains are the same. But I'm looking at the list of guys and time missed, and it's scary. Erasmo Ramirez missed 103 games. 103 days on the IL, to be more accurate. Mike Clevenger, 69 days. Nice. Jose LeCleric, 93 days. Corey Kluber, 92 days. Taylor Clark, 51 days. So, so far, I'm basically telling you three months and two months. Cody Morris, 147 days. That's four and a half months. J.P. Bukasakis, 104 days. The one exception, Anthony Desclafani, 10 days, which is what we're hoping for. <laughs> we're hoping for the 10-day variety. So the terrace muscle strain sounds real scary. It sounds real. And he's 40. And so as Met fans, we really can't whine and complain about this, even if it sounds like I'm whining and complaining about it. Because when you sign a 40-year-old who's two years removed from Tommy John surgery, you then can't act surprised when he's got a terrace muscle strain. What was your uh, over-under on innings pitch for sure, uh, for Verlander? <laughs> <laughs> I already forgot what me and Sal said. Oh, I already man. forgot. Yeah, that's, that is scary, by the way. And, and like you said, it's, it, the, the age thing sucks. But I said this multiple times last year with DeGrom. In the end, if Verlander misses three freaking months, yes, if he's there for the playoffs, that's what matters. I, I agree with you, and while I think the Mets should be a playoff team and I can't picture six National League teams finishing ahead of them, you do have to make the playoffs first. So if the Mets were sitting here 25 games above 500, I'd say, yeah, shut them down. Who cares? But you also don't want to get off to an awful start, you know, and you don't want to be sitting here 6-15 and 15 with an attitude of, oh, don't worry, just be healthy in October because you need to get to October. But they're 1-0. So one down, 161 to go. We'll give you another Rico Brony after this series is over. Maybe another one before that. You never know. You never know when we decide to turn those microphones on. Appreciate all the emails. The Rico B at gmail.com. The New York Mets are 1-0. Hope you enjoyed opening day. We will talk to you soon. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. 
It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.